0: Hello, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene presents Mysteries and the Macabre. Ooh, Rachel. <laughs> I'm perfecting my intro for this. Yes.
1: We're gonna get more professional here. Yes. By damn it.
0: Yes. God, oh I it. just I just told us to speak up louder.
1: Oh, okay. I have to start being so sultry. Yeah. <laughs> You have to be more be like me,
0: very grating on the okay, ears. Okay,
1: I will. Okay. So um, today I'm very excited about this episode because it's very creepy and it's hitting, uh, once again, the theme we're trying to hit this month is kind of creepy, ghosty, haunting, scary movie kind of stuff. So today I'm going to discuss the Doris Bithers case aka the entity haunting and you might know this story because it was the basis of a 1982 movie called The Entity that starred Barbara Hershey. Did you see this movie Rachel?
0: I never did but I know the movie.
1: Okay. I saw it a very long time ago and I actually started watching it last night just because I was like oh I should just sort of refresh it. So it was like it wasn't online streaming but I found like a I guess, an illegal download, but it was dubbed in Japanese.
0: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so I didn't
1: watch too much of it. But I did watch a bit of the opening sequences because yeah. uh, it, gets, it gets heavy pretty quickly. So I think it is kind of a good movie that you should maybe watch this okay. month in your um, 31 Days of Halloween. Doris Bithers was born. Doris McGowan... Her age is sort of something she never really reveals, yeah. so we don't know quite when she was revealed. But it would be sometime in the fifties. Okay, she came from a upper middle class family, but her family was very dysfunctional. Yeah, like she lived in a turbulent household, so it was not a calm upbringing. Despite the sort of wealth, both of her parents were alcoholics, and probably people who should just not have had children. <laughs> which I think a lot of parents back then. It was like, you just had kids. It right. doesn't matter. If you're Everyone did it. Literally an explosive alcoholic. <laughs> uh, so at the age of 10, Doris and her family moved from the Midwest to California. There's uh, not much about her early years. So this is sort of all I found. In her teenage years, she had a major altercation with her family and there's no record of what that was, but it was so bad that her parents and her aunt and uncle disowned her like as Whoa. a teen. So she was completely cut off from them and didn't have any contact with her family anymore at that point. Eventually, they all died, I guess, shortly after.
0: Like at the same time? <laughs> yes. But
1: I mean, like I said, I have minimum information here. That's very they suspicious. They all died very shortly after. Right. <laughs> Doris is like like the little girl standing in front of the burning house, that right. meme, <laughs> smiling creepily. <laughs> and she was left nothing in the will. The inheritance all went to her brother, which literally sucks because like one of my dreams is to get an inheritance from people I hate. Oh, like yeah. so, it's like I'm not sad. They're dead, and then I get some money for all the suffering they put in my, my, my life. So, it's very yeah. flowers in the attic. I keep thinking like one day I'm gonna get like a check in the mail because my dad died, who I haven't seen since I was like 13, and I'm gonna get like all this money. I'm gonna be like, "Fuck you, bitch." <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, we all have our dreams. You know what? I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna put that out in the Please universe. Please send your love you. and light for me. I and will. Your prayers, I okay. will.
1: So Doris continued her life of turbulence you know, into her adulthood. She had numerous failed relationships, all of which included physical abuse. And she ended up having, like in her twenties, she had four kids from four different men, which is like a telltale sign of someone who's not really great at relationships. I would say so. <laughs> I mean, even my mom just had kids by two different men, <laughs> 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 which is definitely more normal, probably. Uh, you know, she probably had a few abortions, though, so it could have been worse.
0: Well, my dad's had a lot of different kids oh, throughout... Oh, right. Throughout the, That's right. You throughout, have a similar... throughout, But it's been throughout the span of, like, 30 years. <clears throat> right. Not, like, three years. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> Needless to say, being a single mom with four young kids, struggling financially is a very stressful situation for anybody. Uh, and then she has that emotional, you know, you know, from her background. Right. It's not like she's dealing with a great starting point to begin with. She doesn't have a good She's foundation. Traveled. She also continues this cycle of abuse with her children. She doesn't have the greatest relationship with any of them. And they pretty much live in squalor their whole childhoods, yeah. the kids. They end up eventually moving to this home where the incidents will take place in Culver City, actually. And that home that they moved into had actually been condemned twice before they lived there. So I guess the landlord was just like doing these little shoddy repairs to make it pass inspection. Wow! Sounds like like my place. Right? (laughs) They're in like a pretty, pretty bad situation, uh, I would say. But she's doing the best she can. Eventually, this guy's going to come in, but I'm going to tell you a quote now. His name is Dr. Barry Taff. He's a paranormal investigator, and he's pretty well-known now, but this would be one of his first big cases. He, He says the reason we don't have a lot of information about her early childhood is that she's really evasive and cryptic about her background, even when they were interviewing her. Uh, as I said before, she refused to even tell them her age. But his speculation that was that they were a few years younger than her, so they're like in their early twenties, just starting off in their paranormal field. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's definitely, you know, when this is happening, mid to late twenties, probably. He said that nowadays, like it's so different. They would have had to secure so much background information before they even took on her case. Like currently, like to go in as a ghost hunter or whatever, an investigator they need your like medical records, your psychological records, really? family psychodynamics, medications that you might be on, your drug and alcohol use. Like they really investigate these people before they take on the cases. Uh, and he he speculates that if they had asked for that, she would have immediately been like, "Well, fuck you." No. <laughs> like he also said that in addition to all of her the psychodynamics of her family life from a young age, uh, she got mixed up in uh, seances and Ouija boards. Oh. So she already had like a little bit of a spiritual obsession or interest going on. Her kids even said that she kind of had psychokinetic events or yeah. claimed to have psycho, like a carry type situation.
0: Right. Like telekinesis? Uh,
1: yeah, and like other kind of, just like when she was in a room, like things would happen or weird. So she had some, according to them, she had some kind of like psychic... Whatever mojo mm. metaphysical, <laughs> yeah, like just like weird tricks, and like she could do impressive things like, and she was into this spiritual stuff to like as like party tricks and bar tricks and like whatever, like look what I can do, or have you seen this Ouija board let's have a seance like right. that kind of person I love to like in the interview, the kids are the kids are saying like how she had these psychokinetic events and would see occasional apparitions, and they they described it as like more subtle things, uh paranormal stuff, and the psych the, um, not psychiatrist, paranormal investigator was like, I would never refer to those things as subtle. (laughs) I was like, okay. (laughs) I mean, they do seem pretty intense. Like if I saw a ghost, I wouldn't be like, well, I just had a subtle experience. (laughs) (laughs) So another strange thing that happened is when she moved into this home on Braddock Drive in Culver City, she got a knock on the front door and there was an old Mexican woman standing there who was in her seventies or eighties and she... Delivered a message to her And this is a quote You need to get out I used to live in this old house Back when it was just a farm And I was a little girl There was something very evil This place is haunted And you need to get out Get out <laughs> I like, I like how it's always like get out Like the right. ghosts are telling you get out Right um, Anyways that's like something that happened Right when she moves into this house uh, And obviously is very unnerving For the whole family And this in kinda- the 70s Yes this is uh, 1974 Okay. So at some point Doris goes to like a bookstore and overhears Dr. Barry Taff and a man named Carrie Gaynor. And they're at a bookstore kind of discussing paranormal occurrences and whatnot. So she she's like, hey, like things are happening. You like paranormal? <laughs> you gotta come over to my place. I got fucking paranormal. So she invites them to come over to her house. Uh, they come over on August twenty second, nineteen seventy four, and they pretty much immediately um, begin their investigation into what's going on at Doris's house. According to Barry Taff, when they get into the home, like I mentioned before, it's in complete shambles. There are dirty dishes piled in the in the sink. I don't know. It just kind of reminds me of like some of my experiences growing up. Really, just like having the house be disgusting because your mom works all the time and the kids are just—it's like cereal bowls piled up. Like, right. things just aren't getting done. Because there's no one at home. Right. And the kids are making messes that aren't being cleaned up. Once they're at the house, she had basically kind of said, hey, there's some stuff going on. but She didn't really tell them the extent of it. And that's where she lays the fucking bomb on them of what's really happening. She claims that she has been multiple times sexually assaulted by a trio
0: of violent ghosts. Can I just say that when you said trio of violent ghosts, I immediately pictured the ghost from the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> Like, you know,
1: like you're in the car and right? you're looking at them in the, in the reflection in, in the and they're, re- they're like groping you. Right. <laughs> you're yeah. like, wait a minute. Get out of my car. <laughs> that would be insane. Yeah. So, according to Doris, the two smaller ghosts would hold her down while the tallest one would rape her. The woman, um, Doris's oldest son said that once he tried to intervene while the ghosts were, were raping his mom and he was thrown across the room into a wall and he broke his arm. Dr. Taff and um, Carrie Gaynor had never heard of spectral rape before. <laughs> so this was like new to them. But they saw like she had bruises all on her inner thighs and all over her body. So it kind of made them believe her. They did talk to neighbors. Like they didn't just believe Doris's story. And they also claimed that they saw apparitions and stuff like inside the house or, or spooky things going on. And the children also were witnesses, witnesses to things. They told uh, the investigator that they dubbed the rapist... The tall one, Mr. Who's It. <laughs>
0: Sorry. Wow. Like, that's I like, mean, it's like a wrinkle
1: in time. That's like an insanely charming name for a rapist.
0: That's what I'm saying. That's like a little too cutesy.
1: <laughs> yeah, Mr. Who's It. Mr. Who's It's putting his what's it in, in mom again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Look, I only joke about spectral rape.
0: <laughs> right. That's, that's uh, appropriate.
1: So, anyway, I, I just think that name is crazy. But, I mean, kids. <laughs> So obviously, once they hear this story, they they're like paranormal investigator <laughs> eyes like, eyes light up. They're like, "Whoa, we have to get in on we this hit story. The jackpot. Yeah, we hit the jackpot!" So they call in the rest of their team and set up all of the ghost watching and recording equipment, which at this point in time is very like you know rudimentary rudimentary uh, stuff. They don't not have, like the high quality stuff they have today. Well, they don't have like,
0: proton packs even.
1: No, they have nothing. They set up. These detective, detect sort of equipment to see what's going on.
0: I just imagine lots of beeps and stuff, and yeah, like very 70s. And they're like
1: holding (laughs) like um, those things that have the lightning go back and forth, like (laughs) they're like holding it up. They have the the bulb for the camera, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) nothing's happening. So they get Doris to summon the beings, Doris. Starts swearing and yelling at the ghost to kind of appear, which I feel like is that maybe she's trying to anger them to come out and entice yeah, them. Maybe. Investigators reported that they felt a strange pressure in their ears while this was happening. Like, like whatever, like this, like I guess when you're in a, you're in an airplane, like the pressure drops yeah. or something. And then the lights, of course, began blinking and shaking. The lights always flicker. Uh, she continues to hurl these like ghost slurs at. The- <laughs> Or whatever, like she's really going off on these ghosts. Well, she like, come here, you translucent yeah. bitch. Yeah. Fuck you, you mother, you motherfucker. You're literally a motherfucker. <laughs> uh, and then they say that a green mist comes out and starts swirling Ooh. in a corner. Well, that's very Disney. Exactly. This is very Haunted Mansion, and. It starts grow, growing into a form of a muscular torso of a man. I'm sorry.
0: Was she like, yay, yeah, got a hot one? Yeah, it's like, it's like a centaur. I'm sorry. Uh,
1: so despite all this amazing equipment that they had, they still only managed to capture one image. I'll post some of these pictures because there's an image of oh, this. Oh, good. And it's like one of those images. Doris is like, I can't remember if she's in a bed. She's like kind of crouched and there was like a orby arc of light like sort of above her. The other thing that the investigators found out that they, they thought may have a certain element of bringing this supernatural stuff in is that two of the sons were really into black Sabbath. I'm sorry, this sounds so like satanic panic of the 80s. Like, they also speculate that because there was so much emotional duress in this home, that that could have been why this sort of spiritual stuff was happening there. But the the paranormal activities were the strongest when Doris was there. Like uh, apparently, it would happen off and on when just the kids were home, uh, but when Doris was there was when things would really like light up. So eventually, they do leave the house, and Doris claims that the entities followed her wherever she moved. She also claims that she became pregnant by one of the spectral Stop rapes. Stop it! Yes. And she did have an atopic pregnancy, but, I mean, obviously, no one did DNA testing. (laughs) She kind of disappeared in the late 80s. And then I'm going to get into this interview with her son, Brian, in a little bit. We did find out that she died in this interview from 2009, and she had a pulmonary arrest. Uh, But it's like a real sketch, like, what happened to her. Uh, So it's just according to her son, like, hey, she died. I mean, I think she's dead. It's not like she's living in Albuquerque or something. So obviously there's a lot of controversy about this case. Most of it sort of is like this woman had a history of addiction, abuse. She had difficult relations and she probably had some sort of mental break or stress-induced like psychotic break or something. And kids go along with their parents. Right.
0: They're susceptible
1: to belief stuff. Right. According to Dr. Taff, contrary to what many people believe, the case of Doris Bither was not, in my professional opinion, the result of spectral rape, a.k.a. spectrophilia. Like, that has a word, by the way. Wow. Uh, he, does, he does think it was a poltergeist outbreak. He just doesn't believe the rape aspect of it. Well, typical. <clears throat> right, typical a man. A man doesn't believe in rape. This was before me, too. Um, <laughs> 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 and obviously, like, like I said, there's not a lot of data on ghost sex before this case. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> There's just too many humorous things here. And he was like, but like I said before, he was in his mid-20s then. So the idea of that was very exciting at the time, but yeah. now, like, whatever, many years later and after thousands more cases, he just doesn't believe that it's something that exists. I think they also just need more evidence nowadays, like they didn't need back then. I so- like that
0: he has some humility about his this this early ghost hunting of his that he's like, able to admit like, yeah, a lot of this was probably bullshit instead of just like putting his foot down right. and being like, no. It's an
1: evolving science. So in this article I read were some of these clips from uh, Dr. Taff. In the comment section of that article, Doris's middle son, who is named Brian Harris, left a comment. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> what did he say? He, I'll read it to you. Uh, he said, my mother was not on drugs. She drank a lot of beer to calm her nerves and became dependent on beer. It went from a couple beers to a a couple, a buzz, uh, to cop a buzz, to feel stupid, slurred drunk, to full stupid, slurred drunk. This was always clean and neat. We were very poor, but my mother prided herself. herself His this this is like really. Uh, broken, not broken English, but it's not written well, would never show that side of our lives. There was never, ever dirty dishes in the sink. I and my younger brother had to see to that. Please take a grain of salt of what you read. There are so many interpretations what really happened in the story that the real truth isn't even the only speculation is what you're mostly reading here on these blogs. You're hearing this from the sound of doors. I have no (laughs) idea. That's just what it says. He is like, okay, he's like the only one of her children that is simpatico with her still. Like really? he is kind of like Bob Crane's son. Oh, Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like the defender, he's going to defend his mom. Like right. there's always like the one kid I think who mm-hmm. becomes the caretaker, well, like
0: Woody Allen. Three. <laughs> <laughs> well, doesn't he have like a, like one son who's right? Like, Fuck I, for you. some
1: reason, when I heard it, I was like, well, I don't know if Sunil is his defender. <laughs> His one child
0: defended him and married him. So he must be She counts. Right. Would his Uh, own wife, daughter say anything bad about him? No. So uh,
1: I'm going to just go over some of the more things that Brian says in this interview that came out in 2009. And it is with a man named Javier Ortega, who has a blog called Ghost Theory. I didn't explore that blog too much, but it definitely looks like one of the what is it, the geo cities geo cities it's like that they level they all look like that right yeah the, the more we've done this show the more i'm on these blogs i'm like how is this blog still operating right. it's <laughs> like this technology and sometimes you'll see you're like there hasn't
0: been a post since 1999 well like, that was like the winchester mystery theory guy oh right yeah, it was yeah, yeah, like yeah. who designed this and what year did they design this website blog dot right. blog spot <laughs> it wasn't even it looked like angel fire <laughs> yeah it's worse it's like something it's so
1: yeah it's insane but anyways, there's some good information in here. Uh, so as I said before, he's definitely like the chip off the old block. He's his mama's you know, little boy or whatever. He's still very defensive of his mother. He described the overall feelings of growing up in the house as uh, that everyday life was just being isolated most of the time. They were in this small house and we felt physically separated alone and isolated from the rest of the world, which kind of like... Breaks my heart because I yeah. feel like that is very true. If you're in like a troubled household, you don't want anyone in your house. Yeah, like even if it's clean, it's kind of like I don't need anyone seeing what's going on. You don't right. want your teachers to know. Like, so there is like an isolated feeling I feel like when you're in uh, an abusive situation like that. Right. And whether or not the ghost stuff is true, she clearly was sort of not on her best mom <laughs> level. Like, right. She, you had, know what I mean. She had her
0: own problems.
1: Right. He he denies that the house was condemned. He um, said that that's all bullshit. The house was never condemned. Um, and that it had a reputation for being haunted in the neighborhood long before. And that there were prowlers coming by and curious people. And that, that that's maybe why people thought it was condemned. Because it was sort of the haunted house of the neighborhood. Uh, and it probably was vandalized in between tenants. Because they just rented the house. They didn't uh, own it. He in the interview the guy asked about the rape, obviously, to see if that was true. He asked the question like, was your mom rape? Was did it really happen? And in the interview it says it it was silent for six seconds or so and after that Brian sighed. <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: <sighs> Ugh, like,
1: like, come on, question. you know that this question is coming up. It's like the most interesting detail. What do you want to know? It was all true. Well, mostly true. Have you seen the movie? Yeah, the movie did add a lot of things. Uh, Barbara Hershey did a good job. It was exactly as I remember my mother going through it. The bruises on her legs and inner thighs, the attacks. Living that home was hell. We all experienced some form of attack. There was pushing, biting, scratching being t- done to us, meaning the children as well. He claims there was four entities actually in the house and they were always making themselves known at all times, which he considered something that took a lot of energy from people in the house. Like the yeah. activeness of the ghost kind of sucked everyone else sort of dry of their energy. He also claims like the ghosts were like a fog in the, in the silhouette of a human. So, I mean, a lot of this reminds me of kind of alien abduction where people are sort of saying things that you've heard before and it's sort of hard to say. It's like, well, are you just repeating things you know? Uh, he does describe the main ghost as having that chiseled body, <laughs> but it wasn't like a full figure. It was just like a the torso, torso <laughs> that was like cut. <laughs> it was dis- swole.
0: So it was a disembodied <laughs> torso and I
1: dick? I guess. He doesn't mention the dick. And then he does... I didn't see this, but I guess somebody claimed that the ghosts were Asian. And some one of the stories are important. He strongly denies this theory this uh accusation, not accusation that the ghosts were asian i don't know I never saw that in any of my research, but there's like a whole section of here where he's like. They're not Asian. Dr. Taft tried to make it look like the spirits were Asian. But they were most definitely not. It seems like a weird point. It's like, well, whether they are or not seems very irrelevant It seems me. so like, relevant to the yeah. case. Uh, so, but that was a big detail for him, so I wanted to pay him respect and, and tell you guys the ghosts were not Asian. Uh, he claims that the room, his room was right next to his mother's room, so he would hear the rapes happening, and he would hear things being uh, thrown. He would hear her screaming. And then she would come out of the bedroom after the attack with bruises all over her. Uh, so he was just standing there and they he would see them beat. Like he would see them beating her. Like he could see her just standing there being beat, but there was nothing there. Whoa. Yeah. So that seems pretty creepy. Like he could hear the slaps, he said. I mean, that's kind of a disturbing thing because you wonder what was really happening in that moment. Yeah. Or also just the idea, like it always triggers me when mom's, let their kids see certain things. Like if I was having an attack like that, I would be like, kids go in the other room. Right. Like there's something about her that she wanted them in on it. I don't know. Like it's all a bit messed up, I think. The whole investigation, by the way, only lasted about two to three months. And that's like another point of contention for Brian. Like he feels like Barry Taff made his career on this and like knows all this stuff, but he was only there a few months and Brian is really the expert on this case. So there's like a lot of um possessiveness, I think, about what happened in the story. He also talked about the telekinetic, psychokinetic kind of stuff I talked. Uh, He says the home was unstable. We did fight a lot. My older brother was mean to us, so there was a lot of tension. My mother's boyfriend at the time left because he could not handle the poltergeist and the tension which was a good thing. He was a bastard. I mean, I always appreciate people who have a petty aside during right. like, a different conference. Right. By the way, this guy was a dick. <laughs> you don't know who he is, but I'm just going to put that out there I in case he's reading this. Uh, so he thinks like maybe the telekinesis stuff was possible, that she was actually doing it rather than a separate entity being in the house. He also claims that a lot of the negative energy in the house was caused by the, the ghost hunting team being there. There were oh. 20 to 30 people in the room at a time, like in this small house with all of this equipment yelling at the ghost to come out. I mean, it sounds like a mess. Yeah. Right? It doesn't sound very professional to me. <laughs> uh, Brian also takes credit as being the one who came up with the name Mr. Who's It, which I also love. <laughs> like That's something that's like- That
0: genius name was me, guys. Hey, just so
1: you know. And he said that he called the ghost Mr. Who's It because he- believed it was his grandfather initially, and he thought it looked like his grandfather, but then when he realized it wasn't his grandfather, he came up with Mr. Who's It? Like, oh, I guess I was wrong. It's not my grandfather. It's Mr. Who's It? I have no idea.
0: I look, Brian, I wouldn't brag about your name.
1: Just say you came up with it. Don't give us the stupid explanation. He also says um, about the Black Sabbath music, he says uh, that that music had no influence on the ghost coming. That's all bullshit. We never even listened to satanic music. Any kid that grew up in the 70s listened to rock and that's what they listened to. It was the cool thing to do. Sorry, Brian, calm down. (laughs) So he's like, we never played certain songs that that would agitate the spirits. Um, There is one song on the Uriah Heep album, Demons and Wizards, that talks about good versus evil. It's basically about the devil getting his ass kicked. Every time we would play that, the spirits would become agitated. I mean... This guy's played Dungeons and Dragons, right? Oh,
0: he had to have gotten into it later.
1: So, as I said, they eventually moved to Carson. they They left the house. and he does agree with his mom that the spiritual uh, activity continued as they went to the house. He also rags that neighborhood, Carson, saying it was a bad neighborhood and a bad school system. Brian, Brian has some petty grievances right? Uh, he also, this interviewer asked Brian about the pregnancy. And he said, it's possible. I mean, my mom moved around a lot. She was so unstable. We would lose contact with her. She had a lot of boyfriends and husbands, so many that I lost count. So it's possible one of her boyfriends got her pregnant. Wow. <laughs> so that's the end quote of that interview. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about the movie. The movie is, it's not like her name. It's, they changed the name to Carla Moran, but it's like so much of the same story. Like she sees the psychiatrist at a bookstore yeah. and has them come in. Like the rape scene happens very early on in the movie. Like it's in within the first fifteen minutes, I so think. So is it just
0: Barbara Hershey like bucking on the bed? Basically. Right.
1: Yeah, it's basically that. As I said, I didn't I didn't watch the whole movie last night. I just kind of poked around it a bit. But it does kind of follow Doris Bither's story and until the end. Like there's an insane ending when the fi- when the psychiatrist comes and like things just explode and they're like in this house that's a a mock-up of her house to try to get the ghost to come there. Oh, whoa. And then there's just this whole, like, you can tell where they spent the budget, like, the special
0: effects sequence. The real house is still up today, isn't it? I think so. It still exists.
1: I think so. I don't think anything has happened there ever. Um, The best part of the movie, though, is after they it's kind of like um, the end of Carrie you know how Carrie has that button where you think it's the end of the movie and then yes. it's like the button at the end the sort of famous whatever it's a great scene it's a really great scene uh, this movie has a sort of similar thing where you think everything's solved and she goes back to the house the next day uh, and then the minute she walks in a demonic voice says welcome home cunt
0: <laughs> oh that is great. and then she
1: packs up and leave and it's sort of the button I guess is that a spoiler oh who cares uh, that, you know what?
0: That is a spoiler, but that's too good not to share with me. On I have show. to welcome home cunt.
1: Martin Scorsese actually considers this one of the scariest horror films really? of all time. Uh huh. And one other little interesting thing about the movie: I mentioned earlier that one of the son's arm was broken during when he tried to save his mom from being raped right. or stop the rape. And the kid who played the son in the movie actually. Broke his arm while filming. Whoa. So that's sort of like a creepy little thing. And they actually had to write the broken arm into the movie to, for the other scenes because it wasn't like in the script. you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash H-C-S. So that's the Carla, uh, or not Carla, sorry, Doris Bither story. Yeah. And I actually have one more single mom ghost story to tell you. It's not as long, but it's sort of connected because Barry Taff also worked with this woman. Okay. When I was researching uh, Doris, I, a few places, like I was on like a YouTube video, someone in the comments was like, oh, I thought this was going to be the Jackie Hernandez story. And I was like, oh, what's that? So I looked up her and then there's some a lot of stuff on her too, because this was also quite famous uh, ghost case. So Jackie Hernandez, she had just recently left her husband. She's twenty year, 23 years old at the, uh, at the time. So she moves from L.A. after the divorce, and she moves to San Pedro, California. I think that this is sometimes referred to as a San Pedro uh, haunting.
0: We call it uh, San Pedro, by the way. Oh, Pedro? I used to do a lot of drugs down there. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I always defer to drug addicts. (laughs) I'm just saying, even though that's not the correct Spanish There's pronunciation. There's a lot of that
1: in California where I always say things like, I used to say San Rafael and everyone's right. like, San Rafael, dumbass.
0: <laughs> and I was like, well, it doesn't sound right. It's so stupid because we should be pronouncing it the correct way. <clears throat> right. But then you, instead you're judging people who say it right. Yeah, because everyone I knew from San Pedro pronounced it Pedro, and I thought it was hilarious when I first heard it. But now when I hear people say San Pedro, I'm like, hold on, this isn't La Isla Bonita. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> San Pe- Pedro. People, yeah. Wait, that's probably how I learned how to say it. Right. Okay. Thank you, Rachel. Rachel um, always tells me why I do things. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> she always informs me. Uh, so, I mean... As with Doris, a young single mom, yeah, she's struggling. She is in a stressful new situation without a husband. Look, the um, last
0: thing you need is a fucking ghost talking to <laughs> you.
1: Seriously, it's hard enough to like raise kids. So she's working multiple jobs. And she's also, by the way, pregnant with her second child. Wow. So she leaves her husband pregnant with a two-year-old. I mean, that's a mess. What a and, dick that guy must have been. He like, must have been awful. He must have been awful to leave under those circumstances, Right. right? Um, I mean, who knows? I'm not judging the poor guy because he does come back in the picture. <laughs> maybe maybe she was the one. The spooky kind of stuff started happening right away, but it was very small at first. She would hear sounds, like high-pitched screeching coming from like inside the walls, oh. or she would hear things in the attic, like shuffling and thumps and like things. So it's kind of like things I'm sure you initially just brush off, like, oh, it's windy today or yeah. whatever. So one night she has a friend over... And they're just like cooking dinner, and they see several orbs of light float through the room. She tries to take a picture, and in the picture, she sees a face of an of a like emaciated old man <gasps> staring in the window. So, it's like, sort of like in the got back. I get Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing worse than an emaciated old man staring at you. But like, he- that is a that is like a primal scary oh, image, right? Yeah. So obviously, she looks outside. And there's nothing there. So I don't know, maybe they were taking Polaroids. That would be very seven days. I used to have
0: a reoccurring <clears throat> I used to have a recurring nightmare because I had like crazy nightmares when I was a kid, probably because of yeah. just all the chaos in my life. Right. But I like would have like reoccurring nightmares about um like a haunted camera and a creepy old man. But I know that the creepy old man was from Poltergeist too. I know oh, that right. I know that it's that that's that classic. But I also would have like Creepy dreams about taking pictures and seeing pictures of ghosts. Right. So that is like one of my biggest nightmares. Can I
1: just say one of my early horror movie experiences that literally traumatized me for life? And I don't even know if this movie is good. It's called, um, gosh, what is it called? Wait until the dark, or don't. I can't remember. It's something like don't, 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 turn,
0: the don't oh, turn the lights off. Oh. Don't turn the lights off.
1: Okay. And there was a sequence in the movie. That literally traumatized me as a child. Like, it's so scary to me. I don't even know if I could watch this movie again because that's how, like, right. visceral it is for me. So, it's basically this woman living in a scary house, and there's, like, kind of like troll like creatures in the basement, and no one believes her, uh, and they're afraid of the light. I think they actually remade this movie a few years ago. Um, and there's a scene, the scary scene for me is it's towards the end, and she all the lights are out they've turned all the lights off in the house so she can't turn the lights on and that's how she keeps them away and they're dragging her into the basement and all she <gasps> has is a polaroid camera oh so God. she keeps flashing the camera cuz that will get them away for right. a few seconds but then eventually she obviously runs out the flash burns out cuz it's like one of those cameras where the flash will burn out like a bulb right and it's just like the most horrifying <gasps> sequence cuz they're like grabbing her feet and i have like a traumatic Fear of people grabbing at my feet, like oh my god. the getting out of bed thing, like right. So just like that scene scared the fuck out of me as a kid. I need
0: to watch that.
1: You have to watch it. I'm just curious what that scene is like because it was the scariest thing I ever saw with like fucking camera. I was like, oh my god, like. Oh. Uh, so I've had nightmares about that still. Anyway. People typically will try to blow these early experiences off as like, oh, it's just the wind or whatever. Obviously, this took it next level. Jackie wanted to do something. She talked to her ex-husband, whose name is Al, and he suggested they get a priest in to like, do an oh, exorcism okay. type thing. So they do this before they do the paranormal investigators. At some point, one of her friends tells the landlord about what's going on. Too. So, like, people are starting to know what's happening here. They bring the priest in, nothing basically happens. He declares that the house is not haunted, but that uh, Jackie is possessed by the devil. Oh. I mean, obviously, the priest is like, the priest is going to priest. Right. He's right. like, no, that's not what's happening. You're possessed by the devil. Right. Like, hello. Um, Once the priest leaves, Child Protective Services was actually called at some point because people in the neighborhood are talking and stirring up shit and saying that she's basically a bad mom. So they called CPS because they thought maybe she was on drugs or something. But she's not. So she starts feeling really, at this point, scared and trapped because no one's believing her. She's still pregnant. And that was part of the thing, too. Like, she's on drugs while she's pregnant kind of thing. Mm -hmm. She eventually gives birth to her daughter, Samantha, and the hauntings. Continue and they kind of ramp up. In fact, she claims that once she was bringing in groceries and that the n- magnetic refrigerator letters, you know, like the kids have spelled "get the hell out." Once again, with wow. the classic. I mean, that would be a great image in a movie. Right? Oh yeah, just like the alphabet, like the primary color uh, magnets, mm-hmm. and obviously there's no signs of uh, break in or anything. So she knows that the ghosts have like re you know their terror. <laughs> <laughs> so that night when she goes. To sleep after she's put her kids to bed, she claims that she hears raspy breathing in her ear while she's lying in bed. She he feels like the breathing gets more and more distant, so she follows the sound to her son's bedroom. And when she looks inside, she seems th- sees the same emaciated old man sitting next <gasps> to her son, staring down at him with burning red eyes. Oh, obviously that's very scary. <laughs> yes. So she she like is terrified and then she also claims that a blood-like sus- substance begins oozing from the walls like in his room from that day forward things just keep you know escalating she continues seeing puddles of blood wherever she was like if she was in the kitchen and she goes back to the kitchen there's a huge puddle of blood where she just was before that wasn't there uh she also says that objects start flying around the room and she even goes so far to admit that she does think she's losing her mind. Like she doesn't know what's happening. It's yeah. kind of like you start believing, like, well, maybe I am crazy, like what the fuck is going on? So it is at this point her uh friend named Susan tells her about Barry Taff. So they bring Barry Taff in to do an investigation. And this is after Doris Bithers. I honestly, I think this is in the 80s. I forgot to write the exact date down. So his team arrive and they don't have to have her scream at the ghost for them to come out. They're immediately like showing off. Whoa. There's a foul smell in the room where they're sitting and kind of taking their initial report or information, whatever. Apparently, ghost smell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they start, at that point in the attic, they start hearing banging sounds. According to Taff, we kept hearing what sounded like a 200 pound rat running around the attic. Jackie actually traces the source of the banging to a, a part in the ceiling above her kitchen, and she claims that this is where um, she has seen a ghostly image of a severed head before, like, <gasps> and hearing muffled voices at the same time it appears. So Taps' cameraman goes into the attic to see what's happening and what the source of this banging is. That must be the scariest job, by the way. <laughs> Could Dude, you even imagine? I couldn't do this job. So according to the cameraman, whose name is Jeff Wheatcraft, he goes up there, and when he's up there, immediately... An unseen ghost or force throws the camera down that he's holding and starts choking the cameraman. The crew leave after this attack and that guy actually never comes back, Jeff Wheatcraft. He's like I wouldn't. I'm done. Uh the one night, like this is according to Jackie's like her breaking point, which is like hard to believe because it's like, how is that other stuff not your breaking point? She says that a ghost begins to play with her son toys in her in in the room to in, to kind of get her attention. And he throws a beach ball at her, and then when she gets Goes to get the beach ball. He attacks her. The ghost, like physically, attacks her for Whoa. the first time. So I guess the idea of like them playing with your kids' toys, I can see how that would be really creepy. Like it's sort of like, hey bitch, I got, I'm playing with your your kids. Are it's not a safe. warning. Like yeah, it's kind of a warning. So uh, I can imagine that would be very scary. She said that the hand, like a hand, what felt like a hand, held her down until she couldn't breathe. When she finally got to her feet, she grabbed a baseball bat and inexplicably, in my opinion, ran to the attic.
0: You never run to the attic.
1: That's like, (gasps) come on. That's classic. How how do you even run to the attic? It seems like a chore. Well, you got to like get the latch thing (laughs) down. And And there she said that the creature, she called out to the creature. So she's doing like one of those like, come on, (laughs) with her baseball bat. (laughs) Right. And he appears before her, but she doesn't do anything. She calls Barry and the crew at that point, which is probably a smart thing. She gets the kids and she leaves the house for the last time. But the the crew was still there to investigate what had happened. So they're back there. They're up in the attic. I told you before, like one of the members had already left. So the other people are kind of freaking out. There's a new photographer there and a new uh, cameraman. They're back up in the attic. And then once they're up there, someone once again grabs the photographer by the neck with a clothesline and attempts to hang him. (gasps) There's a picture of this that we could post. Um, Because the other photographer snapped a photo of the guy hanging before he helped tie him down, which seems kind of rude. (laughs) Wait, hold on one second. Wait, wait. let me get this picture. Let me get the shot. So there is a picture of that. uh, The guy hang with like a like a thing around his neck, kind of in a hanging position. So as I said, she does leave San Pedro. San Pedro, sorry. I don't care. Uh, and she gets to another house, and the much like Doris Bithers, the hauntings continue. Her um, ex-husband, they kind of get back together. I guess things are just bad. They need to be together, and he needs to help her with the kids and whatnot. She kind of... They start having the ghost experiences, and then things kind of die down. But then at some point, they start up again. Like Just when she feels safe, they kind of go up. So I don't really know like what's going on with her. She... Says that she and neighbor are watching TV and they see the glowing face of a gaunt old man again, the same one from her San Pedro oh, house, God. like in a storage shed in the backyard. And then that night, after they see the face, she hears someone pounding on the inside of the same shed, like as if they want to get out.
0: Did she then go to the library <laughs> with the microfiche and start <laughs> yeah. looking to see who died? She's
1: like, I'm going to take care of this. Well, Rachel, okay. you hit the nail on the head. That's what I would do. So. The crew comes out to her new house, which I think is maybe in Inland Empire, but none of their electronic equipment will turn on when they're there. So it's like they're disabled completely. They take out a Ouija board and use that to try to communicate with the um, spirits rather than the official equipment. They're like, we have have to do this uh, analog. (laughs) Uh, And this is where they kind of find out some history of the ghost. Oh, hell yeah. So... She kind of wrote down all of the stuff that was happening during the Ouija board seance. And she has like a transcript of this. She claims that the ghost told her that they had been drowned in San Pedro Bay in 1930. His murderer lived in her old house in San Pedro. He also told her that there were more ghosts hanging around. And if that weren't enough, the ghost also said that it had tried to hang a member's member of Barry's crew, because he looked like his murderer. Whoa. So that's like all the information they got from this uh, seance. Well, what was their excuse for attacking her? I don't know. Just because she was in the house, I guess. I don't know. Maybe they were trying to get her attention. Like, Isn't that common in Ghosts where they're like, find our murderer, but they don't tell you right away? The hauntings actually do kind of die down. It's all. People speculate like the man finally got his chance to tell his story, and yeah. then he kind of died down. Well, because sometimes of that. people just
0: want to be heard. You know what, Rachel?
1: That is very true. She also says that one time she was visiting San Pedro and she saw the orb of light there leave her old house and. It settled over a headstone that read John Damon. I mean, I don't know how she followed this orb of light, but I'm just going to believe Jackie. This ball of light went around and around the grave and then just disappeared. Barry Taff, he claims that he did some investigation and that the ghost in the attic was the spirit of a man named Herman Hendrickson, who was a 28-year-old man who drowned in San Pedro Bay in 1930. So he did find a person who matched up with what wow. they found in the uh, seance. So who was the old guy? I don't know. I mean they're not lining everything up. I mean maybe do maybe this ghost aged. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's interesting because usually they don't age.
1: Yeah. I mean I don't know a lot how ghosts work or if he if they just uh present a certain way, like a more effective way. Yeah. I, I read a funny tweet actually a few days ago where they're like, how come ghosts are always like from the 1800s and it's not one who died in 2015 and they come in and they're like, it's, hey bitch, it's Britney or whatever. (laughs) Right, right, right. Like it's never like someone from two years ago, like, hey bitch. Right. (laughs) Totally. They're always like, like you said, the Haunted Mansion style ghost. It's always Victorian. Right. So it is kind of like, well, what are ghosts and how do they present to you? Do they present in a way that will make you affected? Right. Because I want the gay Britney ghost.
0: I want that That will make me believe
1: them. Now, much like Doris Bithers, a lot of people speculate that it was this emotional distress that yeah. either had her seeing these things or contributed to them happening. Like right. because she was such a emotional mess, the ghosts were easily like drawn to her. She was or vulnerable. She was vulnerable to that. But there has been nothing, according to Jackie, nothing has happened since those initial In that things. House. And once they kind of figured out well, she's not in the initial house or the second house either. And she moved
0: back to, uh, I guess, LA proper. Oh, so this woman hasn't had any spirits nothing after since- they did the séance and okay. she saw the
1: one orb when she went back to San Pedro. Nothing else has happened. And is she is she still adamant that this happened? Is she yeah. still like? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Right. Yep. So those are my two single mom ghost stories. I love those because I
0: <laughs> I knew the entity one because I actually almost did it for a bonus episode once, oh, okay. but I didn't. So it was really good to hear that story, but I had never heard of this story. Before I didn't either. Either this is that was it was literally crazy. in a
1: YouTube comment, and I just followed the trail. And yeah, there was
0: much more information. Good sleuthing, Des. Yeah. <laughs> so, so YouTube comments aren't always useless. <laughs> well, I'll tell you my I'll tell you my theory about this kind of haunting. I mean, it's just one theory I have. Like, obviously, I believe in ghosts, but I do think that. It's interesting like both of these women had traumatic lives. They both had a rough time. They had They're a rough go. stressful. Right. And I think that I'm looking at it like okay, if this was a horror movie, what would the allegory be if this was an actual horror movie? Well, right. all horror movies are political or have some commentary on social yes.
1: issues. Yeah.
0: All of all horror movies right. do. So if this was a horror movie, for me, it would be sort of, it reminds me of like, you know, a hereditary uh, type situation where it's like, the for me, the allegory of hereditary had so much to do with generational trauma, generational mental illness. I do think that vulnerable people, like are more susceptible to seeing ghosts whether or not sometimes it's just mental illness or whether or not they're actually just more vulnerable to communicating right. with the spirit world, which right. is why children so often see ghosts, yes. which is why I think I had so many metaphysical metaphysical experiences when I was a little kid because I did have a really traumatic childhood in my early years and I was just fucking stressed and suffering from whatever, untreated alcoholism right. when I was a kid. Yeah. So like... I think that can be a contributing factor. I don't know. I I haven't like written a thesis or come up with a thesis on this. I'm just like spitballing here. Well,
1: and I don't know a lot about horror movies as much as you do anyway. But there is also something that I have seen a lot in horror movies. And it is the idea of this, like a female or a mom in particular not being believed. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like an experience in something horrible, which obviously we can relate to many experiences being a woman. And it is interesting how that always happens. So there right. is this idea, I think, especially probably in the 70s and oh, like, yeah. oh, longer ago, where you don't feel believed or respected. Right. And you're a mom and you're under a lot of pressure and stress, like working with kids and da-da-da-da. And it's just like you want to be seen in a right. way. And well, it's like I'm not, not believing them, but I can see how that manifests into something right.
0: like this. If it's if it's whether or not it the ghost story is true or not, they're clearly going for, through something. She's going through something, right. and she needs it dealt with. Right. You know. Oh, definitely. And she for needs, sure she needs help in some capacity. So uh, that is very interesting. I will have to. Um, <laughs> I mean, um, my thoughts are not very organized right now because both of us are. It's we like barely the morning. Yeah, we're like hardly awake right now. So be impressed. But I think this. <laughs> I think this was a really good episode. Okay. Good. Thank I'm you. Excited about it. Okay. Thanks. Bye. bye. Guys.